Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 61, The Autoimmune Spectrum. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome back to Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. And welcome if this is your first time here. Uh, Fusion Health Radio is a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being, uh, inside and out, and between your ears too, I think. Would that be a fair summation, Michael? I think so. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're on episode 61 here, the autoimmune spectrum. When I sat down today, uh, Michael and I have had a brief discussion about what this is all about. Uh, but you're in for a very articulate, nerdy conversation today. Something that I think might be uh, helpful to you and a friend. Uh, this is the invitation uh, to you, dear listener. If you like what you hear today, please do share that with a friend. Uh, last time we were here, uh, we talked about something that um, might not be as nerdy. Um, how do apple cider vinegar and kombucha work? I think that was actually probably the nerdiest one we ever did because it was just all biochemistry. <laughs> you think it was nerdy? Uh Maybe. I don't know. I just remember talking a lot more about chemistry than usual, so it, it seemed nerdy to me. But Yeah, okay. Sure. Um, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying yeah. that. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I think that these will be equally nerdy. Okay. Last, the last one and this one. Well, I had fun the last time, so me too. maybe uh, maybe this will be just uh, along the same sort of line. Uh, the autoimmune spectrum. I've heard uh, you use the word autoimmune disease a whole lot. Uh, spectrum is a new uh, addition to that phrase, um, and I'm sitting here scratching my head. Uh, for a couple of reasons, uh, but I thought just from the listener's perspective, you might want to sort of unpack the idea of what autoimmune disease is in the first place before we get into your idea today. So autoimmunity basically is a class of diseases where there's a fundamental change in the nature of how your immune system actually works. And it's considered uh, kind of a derangement, you know, the way a person who's deranged mentally, you can kind of predictably un predict what they're going to do because they're a little bit, you know. So, you know, if your immune system is off in the same way, in the sense of derangement, it's going to be all over the map uh, with respect to what you would normally expect. But specifically with autoimmune disease, what's happening is the derangement has made the immune system self-aggressive, uh, um, you know. And, and you know, a lot of people use the, the weird metaphor that you've become allergic to yourself or allergic to your pancreas or allergic to your elbow. And I think in the, if you're talking to a 10 year old or something like that, that would be a pretty reasonable way to say, you know, sorry, Billy, but you become allergic to your elbow, uh, in the sense of your immune system doing this. And we have to avoid things that feed like sugar bugs and, you know, mess with inflammation and, you know, wreck your sleep or, you know, Halloween's coming up and that's always a hard time with, with kids. And, you know, and I'm not going too deep into the kid thing. It's just to say that when you're trying to bring it to someone's attention as to what's going on, that's probably a good place to start. Um, if you're talking to someone who's, you know, an adult and they probably would like to know a bit more specifically as to what that actually means, you know, in the sense of, oh, your immune system's freaking out and you're kind of allergic to, I don't know, your brain, hopefully not, <laughs> although that kind of happens. What's really going on is a derangement of a very normal process, right? And, and this is a, a really, uh, it's such a common sense thing and, and it seems like such a complicated thing that it's 
it takes people to, I think, a while to realize, oh my God, that's like really quite obvious. So when you're looking at how your body's constantly repairing itself, one process is the kind of breakdown, die off and replacement of everything. You know, it's, it's kind of like, oh yeah, that part's worn out. We'll just get the, the serial number off that part and then build a new one. Now, the thing that makes that serial number of the part is called an autoantibody, which is a unique structure made of specifically of the kind of proteins that are uh, to that specific to that kind of cell. Because when that cells get to a certain level of damage or age, uh, the immune system's job is to go in there and look at the autoantibody and say, oh my God, this, this part is, you know, fried, it's gone. And we're going to go in there and break it down and recycle it and come up with something new. So we need those autoantibodies or, you know, regular antibodies that just tell your immune system, you know, the, you know, your elbow's worn out or you're going to build a new one. Unfortunately, when the immune system becomes triggered to a more aggressive stance, and there's a lot of things that can do that. When the, you know, the body says, hey, we got a broken part, here's the part number, what your immune system does is it kind of turns into a weird robot that says, kill all serial number 42, and just goes after those kind of membranes or those kind of glands, those kind of organs. And it can be random, you know, relatively speaking. It can be really familial in the sense of genetic. Uh, it can be specific to environmental toxins, heavy metals, uh, really bad dietary choices, bad drug choices, uh, and stuff like that. But uh, but essentially, autoimmunity just means that your body's self-protective mechanisms and self-repair self mechanisms uh, have become deranged enough to actually attack living functional tissue. And it won't stop unless you retrain it, if you're lucky enough to catch it. Uh, at a point in your life where you can still slow it down and retrain it. And so the um, diseases that most people know of that are like the big C, cancer, or, um, I mean, whenever I think of autoimmune disease, I think of uh, AIDS. Um, and like the really big terminal things, autoimmune disease, in my mind, um, has a little equals uh, uh, character right after it. Um, and then beside that is a skull and crossbones. <laughs> so is this true that all autoimmune diseases are um, ones that are terminal? Uh, absolutely not. Okay. There are some. So at present, I believe there's 186 specific diseases that are classed as autoimmune. Uh, there's about 30,000 known conditions in the world. And I mean, that's getting like ridiculously fiddly in the sense of... Um, how specific you can get uh, around how disease processes go. But uh, it's interesting that you mentioned cancer, Anthony, because at present the World Health Organization is still arguing about whether or not cancer should be classed as an autoimmune disease. And almost everyone in practice is saying absolutely. Um, but a lot of the insurance companies and, and uh, I guess just sort of governmental agencies are really not that prepared for it. Certain medical agencies don't really want to agree with that. And it's actually the same thing with cardiovascular disease. The number one killer in the West is, in my opinion, in most clinicians' opinion, an autoimmune process uh, with respect to the inner lining of your vascular system. But instead of trying to understand it and treat it that way, uh, you know, what, what the medical establishment is doing is just trying to focus on something that makes sense to everybody and keeps us all kind of focused on the same argument. But, you know, again, there's over 180 known diseases that are specifically autoimmune. Okay, so if they don't consider cancer to be autoimmune, 
maybe that relates to what it is you're talking about today. Because somewhere in my mind, it's like, um, it's not like there's such a thing as cancer light or cancer heavy in my mind as, you know, the public. It's like, oh, you've got cancer. Instantly, my mind goes to, that's not very good news. And that's something that you need to deal with in a very severe and, uh, I'll say it, fancy, <laughs> if that's a, <laughs> fa you know, way, uh, because it's such, it's a horrible disease, or it can be, you know, terminal. So um, are, are you suggesting that there's uh, varying degrees to um, this whole autoimmune um, disease idea? Is that what you mean by spectrum? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, very quickly, I'll just remind people, we did a show about a year ago called Rethinking Cancer, and the point we started off with was everyone has cancer all the time, so the idea that it's uh, a distinct thing that, as you said, always equals skull and crossbones. That's not, um, that's basically, yeah, I agree. That's how our society has been left to think about this. But I mean, I think there should be a course in high school that just walks you through, this is actually what your body does. And this is where it typically is going to go wrong in the 21st century. And this is all the things we know help. And this is all the things we know, say the pharmaceutical industry or the surgical people will do if you can't take care of it yourself, mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, Autoimmunity is a really tricky monster because there are so many things that feed back into the, the system that's running it. It's, it's kind of like a bunch of feedback loops that are really hard to trace. And a lot of people who are at risk for autoimmune disease in terms of genetics or overall health usually don't know that that's on the, on the possible menu until it's too late. And that's why I want to do this show actually is to give people who are kind of on the fence of the whole thing or just beginning to have to deal with that diagnostic criteria and that equals crossbones uh, or skull and bones kind of mentality. That there's so many ways that we kind of fall into this particular uh, arena of medicine or illness. And there's so many, st it's almost like walking down uh, some basement stairs. And at a certain point, now you're, you know, hip deep in water that's been there since 1920 and rotting newspapers and whatever, in the sense that now you're really in the pit. But as you're walking down those stairs from the initial stages into the really complex ones, most of the time you can actually walk your way back out. And that's something that isn't really talked about. Although, you know, I should throw out the caveat or the, you know, FYI, it's also true that once you're diagnosed clinically with a fixed name autoimmune disease, you're never allowed to not have that diagnosis. Because that's typically the weakest link in your chain now. And in 10 years or 20 years, hopefully, hopefully longer, if you are going to end up getting sick again, once you've sorted it out, it's probably going to be that, hmm. right? So the, the kind of Western classification of disease says, well, if you have Crohn's and colitis, it's probably going to be that that's going to trigger off whatever else is going to happen next. So just keep that as kind of like a little patch on your, your, your jacket at a convention. Hi, I'm Mike and I have Crohn's. So it gives everyone who's working with you medically a, a sense of what you're really most likely to, going to be dealing with forever and what's going to be at the root of the next thing that happens to you. Well, it almost sounds like that's a uh, a launch pad or like the little, you know, the, the fulcrum in a lever, the thing that actually, you know, takes your illness and sort of ratchets it up or ratchets it down. Possibly, but it's also a step of stairs that you can decide to turn around and walk up the stairs and leave. Mm -hmm. well, you know, funnily enough, um, a good friend of mine has a seven or eight-year-old dog. Um, she texted me the other day. She says, oh, my God, Ollie's got cancer. Ollie's her dog. And I'm like... Um, in my mind, uh, dogs and cancer is kind of, um, I don't know, they, they, it's not like, you know, they just rolled into some spot where a garbage can was. They didn't just pick something up. 
you know, they, 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 they're, they're, they live close to the ground. They're in that environment. You know, they're, they're constantly surrounded by chemicals and things that we don't have access to because we wear shoes and they don't. Right. Um, and when she said that, um, I, I, it just made me think of, uh, another friend of mine whose dog died at the same age, give or take. And when I asked her what the dog died from, she says, I don't know. So like the fact that you say that everybody has cancer, we either, we either have it or we don't, it's either turned on or it's not. Um, in that case for me, it was kind of evident, but I think a lot of people that still don't really understand how something like that, um, uh, presents itself. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't just all of a sudden switch on one day. I mean, I guess what I'm asking you is to enlighten me with this whole spectrum idea. Tell me, tell me more about what you mean with that. So the reason that, uh, I have this set up the way that I do, and I just want everyone to know that this is my particular way of describing this. Uh, at present in, in clinical practice, uh, especially on the integrative functional medicine side of medicine, uh, and we're the ones who are dealing the most with what I might call the creative or at least the more thorough investigation side of autoimmune disease in the world right now, because Western medicine just says, well, we just have to kill your immune system, mm -hmm. you know, or turn it down or, you know, knock it out or, you know, make it sleepy <laughs> or something like that. So first thing is, everyone who's listening to this, this is fundamentally my creation after a couple of decades of being in medical practice and about 25 years of being an autoimmune patient and, and kind of experiencing my, in my own life the ebb and flow of it gets better, it gets worse, it gets really worse, it gets really better, uh, as well as working with thousands of people over, you know, over 20 years. So uh, again, this, this is, you know, my baby, I hatched it. Uh, and in the sense of that, it's important also to be aware that the reason why this is meant to be helpful is that this is kind of like trying to take a picture of chaos. Because hmm. when you're looking at autoimmune derangement of physiology, it's pretty chaotic as to what could happen or what may happen because everyone's genetics are different. Everyone's lifestyle is different. The way people embody or stuff down stress and, and emotion is different. Uh, you know, our known by friends and unknown by anyone use of drugs or alcohol is uh, a factor i guess how much sugar and, and and other things that you put through your metabolism so it, there's no way for this to be a simple standardized thing in the same way that something like blood pressure would be and, and honestly that's not even really well discussed so <laughs> um here we go so stage one isn't actually meant to be stage one of autoimmune stage one is the likely warning signs that come up when a person is uh, in 20 years probably going to be facing something like this if they have the genes for it. So this is what I would call kind of warning signs at a distance. And this is when people start presenting with really weird immune system reactions that are erratic and uh, very, very intense. So, you know, um, I had a patient come into the clinic for the first time a couple of days ago she was 18 years old, um, and she had had this crazy reaction to some food where her whole face had swollen up. Oh, wow. What, uh, it, you were logjam of ideas. Uh, was it something she ate, or did she get bit by something? Uh, it was something she ate that turns out to be, uh, and I, I love how, and I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but I love how Western medicine tries to sound all confident by saying, oh, you have oral overreactive immune allergic syndrome or something they came up with as a name. And I'm like, that doesn't mean anything besides saying your face puffed up after you ate something weird. <laughs> uh, 
you know, so her mom was there and her mom's new kid was there. So it was quite, quite an interesting conversation to try and have with this young adult woman who was planning on actually going on a big trip. And, you know, her whole family is like, well, what are you going to do on your big trip if you keep, you know, accidentally eating randomly weird foods that make your entire face swell up and it takes days to settle down and she needs Benadryl and you know, doesn't really need a, like an EpiPen or anything. But you never know with this kind of stuff because it's erratic and highly reactive. So I went into the usual thing I do by asking her all these questions. And I'm like, well, you know, what you're experiencing right now would be considered to be a, a stage one warning sign of autoimmune disease. But when we look at all of the stuff that happened to you as a baby, uh, the illnesses that you had as a child, the uh, treatments you required as a child, those were all stage two, right? So I was basically saying her to her mom and everyone else, you know, it, it seems like that your family has the genetics for this autoimmune process. Uh, and in you, it's starting this way. And given what your you know childhood experience was, you know by the time you're probably 30, if you don't do a lot about turning this whole thing around, you're going to be in stage three, which means you're going to have a like a fixed name, holy crap kind of you know thing that's going on. So stage one is simply: Are you experiencing things that are erratic and highly reactive? You know, like you know allergies, but allergies that may or may not be consistent. And then the next thing in stage one is basically just allergies that are consistent because you're overreacting to the world in a way that a lot of other people aren't. I mean, if you're the only person in a room that's having a hard time with cats or dust or, or corn or something like that, it's because your immune system is overreacting to something. I mean, that's fundamentally what an allergy is, is your immune system swinging a bat at something that nobody else's immune system seems to need a bat for, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not saying that... Um, that means you have an autoimmune disease just just means well it seems like your autoimmune system your or your immune system in general right now is kind of impatient so i'll get more into the details of that but stage one it's like a, a warning sign stage two i would call stubborn and tired because now your symptoms are getting more and more consistent you know it could be ibs it could be insomnia it could be depression it could be poor recovery from exercise it could be whatever but the fundamental thing is it doesn't really seem like it's an actual physiological illness yet it may be diagnosed as one of those kind of catch-all environments again like ibs or you know insomnia which by itself could be considered a, a a specific disorder but it usually comes with everything but the real big warning sign for people is if you're constantly tired like bone tired muscle tired mind tired emotionally tired uh, not sleeping properly or getting enough out of your sleep. Uh, that's what we call it. Stage two is stubborn and tired because now your immune system isn't reactive and erratic. It's locking horns with a bunch of stuff and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It's not getting really worse. It's not getting really better. It may be describable and often in the description would not be classically autoimmune, although it's often precursors symptoms or precursor conditions to autoimmune. So stage one, you know, it's the big dashboard light. Stage two, it's kind of like you're riding the gas and the brakes at the same time if for some reason I keep going to car and allergies. But stage three is um, the first one where you're actually seeing, um, you know, people... I'd say probably 90% of people in stage three are going to be diagnosed or are presently being diagnosed with an autoimmune disease in the sense that it fits under the umbrella of those 180 you know, plus conditions. And usually that means that your body is now in chronic conflict with itself and there's consistent and often uh, progressive damage. And again, in stage three, now you're usually going to be sitting down with a clinician from wherever 
uh, I'll just, you know, use the, the Western guys because that's where usually this starts with people. And they'll say, I'm sorry, Mrs. Jones, but it turns out you have rheumatic arthritis or you have uh, fibromyalgia, which is still on the fence, by the way, as to whether or not it's considered to be a for sure legit autoimmune disease. But with the new uh, research on what's actually happening, everyone's saying, well, of course it is. Right. But anyway, uh, the reason why stage three is so important is kind of a rite of passage in the the teeter-totter of are you in or are you out of the autoimmune process is that that's usually when they say, I, I, I'm sorry, Mrs. Jones, but you have this condition and it's going to be chronic and it's going to be lifelong and you're going to require treatment probably forever, although your treatment may only have to happen when you're in a crisis or in a flare-up. Or there may be some sort of prescriptive drugs that you have to take yeah. ongoing. Yeah, yeah. Well, usually the drugs are like, here, here's the drugs you will need and you may get into remissions, you may not. But stage three is usually, now you're, now it's a lifelong dance. And hopefully if you're mindful and consistent with what you can do to take care of yourself, at least you can uh, avoid the greater volume of symptoms and hopefully, hope, 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 you can avoid the greater volume of unnecessarily ineffective drugs that basically just stop your body from being able to work properly, mask symptoms and leave you, you know, as Western medicine uh, seems to be contracted by our society, to get you back to work. Somewhere in my mind, I have this idea that what you're talking about in terms of identifying these different stages is more about um, wanting to repair something as opposed to just wanting to put a Band-Aid on it and um, I hope it goes away. Yep. Well, I mean, if this is all about your immune system and your immune system can have a bad mood like stage one where it's, especially around puberty and stuff, you know, shooting at everything, <laughs> uh, your immune system can get into uh, a real locking of horns argument with some part of your physiology, your metabolism, your sleep, your mood, your, you know, your digestive tract or whatever. But again, this is that fiddly arena of where, where, where now you have what seems like an allergy, but it's always here instead of only in spring or only when you're next to a cat. Mm -hmm. Stage three, however, is now we can see on your blood tests, we can see looking at, uh, you know, um, immune reactive specific uh, protein antigens uh, and things like that, that we can actually measure and say, we know what your immune system's attacking. It could be your thyroid, um, it could be your, your colon or something like that. But now again, it was stage three, now you're, you're literally in the club. Stage three, you're probably gonna be in the club in five years or 10 years if, if things don't change, you know, uh, and you have the genes for that. Hmm. So stage four is when it gets really, you know, life altering. And I would call stage four stagnant, sore, and serious because now that the fatigue and the lack of, uh, usual, um, ability to exercise, to, uh, play, to work, to have sex, to have good sleep, to really get the most out of your food. Now you're a person who's literally, uh, you know, walking along with some kind of crutch or metaphoric crutch, uh, in the sense of pain medication and anti-inflammatories, antidepressants, uh, anti-somethings that are going to make whatever it is that, uh, is, is leading the charge go away. But in stage four, now you're basically dealing with something that, um, has really pronounced momentum. It's not just, you know, writing the, the, it's not just that you have the right blood test to confirm you have a condition. The condition is now really progressing rapidly. It's damaging all kinds of tissue. Um, everybody who's looking at helping treat you is getting really serious about your medications. And this is when you start looking at some of the newer classes of drugs like biologics, where they say, 
I'm sorry, Mr. Smith, but it looks like you're going to be this sick, this inflamed, this much pain, uh, this much fatigue, this much, you know, low mood and uh, whatever else is going on neurologically for you uh, forever. And it's going to keep getting worse unless you do everything you can to stop this. And most of that in, in present model of care is just drugs. I want to ask you something, but I'm not sure if you're done with your stages yet. One more. One more. Okay. I'll hang on to this question, but it, it, it sounds like this um, stage three and four, and I'll, I'm going to assume stage five, are where people most likely drop into the idea that they're actually sick. Well, I think people in stage two would notice that their health is becoming more of a conversation piece in their life than it ever has before, because it's now a stubborn thing. And, you know, depending on your personality, you may just stubbornly not tell people that you're stubbornly sick. <laughs> mm. Stage three, definitely, you're, you're going to be one of those people that's like, oh my God, now I, you know, I, I get the little patch on my coat that says I have autoimmune disease, although I'm going to fight the good fighter. You get your membership card. You know, membership card. And, uh... You know, we all pray that we're the lucky ones that have a, a flare up in stage three and it goes away and, and for decades we're, we're free of it. Because that happens to people, hmm. you know, or your, your body says, you know, I'm really, really unhappy. And then most people go, oh, me too. I better do something about all these stressors and, you know, relationships and, and other things that are wearing us down. But in stage four, it's not, it's not averages anymore. Now, now you're sliding down a hill. And it is possible to slow down the slide and it is possible very gradually to crawl your way back out if you're pretty dedicated to your health. Uh, but typically in stage four, you're now a chronic illness patient who is probably going to just keep getting referred to more and more advanced specialists over the next you know, 20 or 30 years uh, as they just keep trying to reduce how much damage is going to occur to your body. Because that's stage four again. It's It's... And a lot of pain and it's serious and, and everything's just really jammed up. And, you know, at, at a certain point, your body can't recycle the mess. So every year you're just that much older inside. Well, I was just going to say that stage five must be like um, ultimately uh, the point of no return. So with stage five, I, I honestly call this like a complete self-renewal or a complete self-breakdown. Because if you're in stage five, you basically have a degenerative condition that's considered morbid. Hmm. Now, it may take 20 years to finally end your life, and I'm not being unkind in saying this. I'm There's no other way to say it. I, I mean, I could ring a bell and <laughs> try and sound like somehow friendlier about it, but there are a, a whole group of autoimmune diseases that when you get them, they're considered fatal. You know, and again, it could be decades or, you know, usually if I probably say at that point, it's going to be about 10 to 20 years or less, depending on the name of it and uh, what other diagnoses you have. And usually with stage five, you already have probably two or three autoimmune conditions under your belt. And, you know, one or two of them are in stage four and they're progressing rapidly enough that the damage is now effectively going to, uh, you know, end your physiological life. And I call it a, a kind of renewal or breakdown because there are people, and I don't have statistics for this, and maybe in 20 years, you know, the world will be more curious about this part of medicine, but people who get into those kind of terminal situations get out of them. You know, we all think of, oh yeah, that, that person who just randomly recovered from pancreatic cancer and that's such a rare thing. And then you talk to them about how much they went through a profound renewal of their relationship with everything in their lives from diet to, you know, loving relationships to family, to work, to money, to where they choose to live or what they consider to be, you know, good water. And, and I don't have like a, you know, there's only one way to get out of stage five and follow my 10 step program. But 
Um, well, I kind of do, but uh, I wouldn't say it that way to people because at stage five, I would say, you know, you're in a critical situation and your body's relatively rapidly breaking down. And at that point, I think it's a really important thing to use a combination of every strategy available to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I just talked to someone on the phone a couple of days ago who called me through something they saw on the internet uh, about their son. And I was like, well, you know, honestly, the first thing you should do with this person, because they're getting close to stage four uh, and maybe hit stage five in a, in a few more years, you should probably tell them to go back to their doctor and use the strong drugs and then call me back after they've settled things down and then we'll see if we can actually turn this whole thing around. But stage five, honestly, is like, are you willing to sit down and completely rearrange your entire, I don't know, the word spiritual has been kind of borrowed, but. um, Let me see if I can give you an analogy on that. It makes me think of, um, I've had friends who were in a toxic relationship for years a buddy who was married for some four decades to the same woman. She was a chronic alcoholic. And um, towards the end of their relationship, um, his health was just like going bonkers. Like all the red lights were going off, all the, you know, including um, uh, he had prostate uh, issues, all kinds of things uh, were coming up for him. But when he finally um, decided to divorce uh, his wife, um, you know, it's not like he was instantly cured by any means, but he looked at things like dealing with the resentment that he had and, you know, investigating how the resentment, um, uh, how did he say it? He says, I held resentment in my body and I held it in my prostate. (laughs) And I said, well, I'm sure, you know, like after 40 years of being with this woman, there wasn't any kind of intimacy. There wasn't any kind of, uh, um, connections. There wasn't any kind of a sexual relationship. There wasn't anything. And so he says, of course, my junk wasn't working. His words, not mine. Um, so he could see that opportunity stage five, either leave or I die. Right. Yep. And so that's, I think that's kind of what you're getting at is that there's a, there's, 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 there's a, there's an awareness of like the, you know, the really stone cold sobering look into the mirror of like, you either need to do this or you don't. But either way, there's going to be some kind of a, um, one of the outcomes is going to be nicer than the other one, right? Yeah. I mean, because if you, I, when I think of someone in stage five, I think of someone who's getting close to sitting into a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. You know, now that's not always what's going to happen, but, you know, the wheelchair is maybe a metaphor for the fact that you're now going to not only require the kind of medical care you would in stage four in the sense of pretty high end medical chemical treatment to just keep you from breaking down but but now your treatment is really about finding the right kind of assistance you know and potentially um in in the long term palliative care right so the the i mean i just think of myself because i i have you know i've dipped into stage four twice in my life so i'm thinking wow if i ever end up in stage five i mean how how much digger will how much deeper will i have to dig Hmm. uh how many more you know weird protocols will I have to try or invent or borrow or steal or whatever, you know, if I was in that situation to really fight the good fight or, you know, what other layer of my particular onion as a human being haven't I unraveled enough to maybe release some, some kind of, you know, trauma or, you know, resentment or things like that. Cause humans, you know, 80% of everything that we do to ourselves medically is in our mind usually around the response to some kind of stress or trauma or insult or 
chronic erosive thing that just eats away at our soul. Like a 40 year dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. That, well, that was, that was a pretty good example actually, <laughs> you know, but I, I just wanted to like really, you know, give people that real sense like, okay, you know, it's, we're all on this spectrum as soon as we start getting sick. If you carry the genes for autoimmune disease, the spectrum is more precisely for that, you know, those kinds of conditions in the sense of what you would want to do about it. But I would say even if you're not on the autoimmune spectrum, you're on the chronic disease spectrum, which is your immune system does something weird. And instead of being chronically overreactive, it's usually going to be chronically uh, underreactive or inefficient. And that produces other kinds of chronic illnesses that uh, would still follow the same kind of overall change in your lifestyle and change in need of care. They're just not being run by autoimmune disease. So I hope the common sense of that you know, works. And, and here's a funny, funny analogy. And, and I really appreciate this because sometimes bringing it into the, the more dynamic and, and I don't know, human experience side of things is pretty cool. So in Chinese medicine, the only description of autoimmune disease that, that was in the classical literature, because autoimmune disease is honestly a pretty modern thing. You know, you have to be pretty well off to be that kind of sick for that long in the old days, because you wouldn't have lasted very long. Um, the classic description in the classics of Chinese medicine is Su Anshur are stuck together like a bad dysfunctional marriage. Who and who? Su, I don't think so. <laughs> so the, she means like a deficiency or a, a vacancy or a lack of something. Su. Yeah. So okay. ba basically, you know, if you're malnourished or you're not enough B12, not enough vitamin D and not enough calcium, not enough mojo, not enough calories, not enough... Uh, no gumption to leave a 40 year dysfunctional relationship or, you know, whatever. So there's a deficit. And sure, it talks about acute, excessive overreactions. So again, we have this dysfunctional marriage where one person is what you might call passive aggressive, where they just walk around kind of being mopey and not really trying to effectively do anything to solve the problem. And then the person who's constantly overreacting to everything is running around that person who's probably sitting in a chair feeling mopey yelling at them. <laughs> you know, throwing things and leaving damage and broken pieces and, and stuff like that. And the reason why that's kind of a valuable thing, because, and I've used this in a lot of different metaphors, but the one that seems to be the most, I don't know, charming these days is imagine you've just started a new job and, you know, you show up to work and the people in the office are for some reason consistently just erratic and reactive. Actually, I do work with that guy right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, I'm listening. I hope he doesn't listen to the show. Anyway, um, so uh, most people, if you're living in, you know, or working in an environment where you show up at nine o'clock on Monday morning and you're just waiting for the next erratic, reactive person to come along and poke you in the proverbial eye about whatever you did wrong or whatever's wrong with their day, how do you think you're going to feel? I'm always on my, sorry, you ask me personally? Well, in the sense of, <laughs> hey, Anthony, can you help me tell this story for our listeners? <laughs> Here's always, a cue card, read. I'm always on my toes around this guy, right? Yeah, and it makes you erratically reactive. Yeah. Well, it... Because um, uh, it's like having an allergy. It's like, oh, no, here comes that guy with that stupid opinion about the guy with the forklift and the other thing in the... Ah. Yeah. And now we build up a, a natural immune intolerance to people that are, you know, you're just like my boss. Or my, my behavior around him is different than it is with other people that I work with. And because he's such a wingnut, um, I have to keep myself kind of like on my toes and in check. And then when he does fly off, um, then it's time to uh, uh, deal with that, which is all kinds of painful. 
Yeah, and if you looked at the Sue and Sure thing, is there's not enough communication, and the attempt to communicate is really just about being powerful or being righteous or indignant or resentful or you know, gossipy or whatever we do. So stage one is it's, it's a it's a human experience in relating. So let's say you've been in that job for a year now, mm-hmm. and you know the the bit players have come and gone, and now you're you know up on the the, the ladder of, you know, how, how much you have to put up with, how much you get paid, and how much you have to do. And, you know, you've locked horns with, you know, the the boss's assistant or, you know, whoever really is the, the thorn in your particular side at the, at the workplace. Um, and you're just tired of the whole thing. Right? I mean, and this is because relationships fall apart and, and get aggressively messy in the same pattern as diseases do. So stage three... Right now, now we're starting to see, uh, you know, s- some real arguments happening, and now we're going to maybe some kind of uh, I don't know mediation or something to try and solve our problems. But now our problems are, you know, something that you see a, a, a list of band-aids next to the hand-washing station in the bathroom. You know, remember in our new office protocol that we're all going to be really clear about this, 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 and the other thing, and we all walk around with our heads hanging down with some kind of heavy yoke on our necks about how oppressive the whole situation is because it's never going to be different. You know, now it's chronic. The diagnosis is clear. You're, you're living in a, you know, dysfunctional pattern two way of how large companies end up getting stuck. And, and the treatment is you all have to go to sensitivity training every, every third Thursday at two o'clock because that's the new reality or, or whatever. And I'm not picking on any of this stuff, please. I, I, this is not about politics. It's not about racism. It's not about the new sexes we're coming up with in the sense of how people want to orient themselves with the world. It's about people going into an environment in the workplace as a metaphor and the conflict and the erosiveness of the conflict eventually becoming what you, you experience more than the collaboration and the uh, connectedness and, and the humor and the kind of the fa- the, the familial goofiness of, of working with people for 20 years. I mean, if you're going to have a career with people, it's kind of like an extended family or it's kind of like a really dysfunctional TV show, TV sitcom, you know, that, that, you know, we all want to watch just for the pathos. You know, and then you, know, you obviously go into stage four and now people are uh, in court because someone's suing somebody else about something and, you know, you're, maybe your pay is getting cut because of something else or you have to work a certain amount of overtime because the whole ship is, you know, being assaulted by something like, you know, some... I don't know, there's this whole trade war going on in some aspect of the economics in the world. And, you know, who knows if that's the thing that's going to take your particular little uh, company in your particular town and make it twice as hard for it to work effectively. Because, you know, you could be a person in stage three autoimmunity and then you end up getting into a car accident covered in some kind of diesel oil and boom, that's the thing that throws you into this completely other internal environment because of change of your external environment. So again, in, in, in the sense of uh, the Chinese medicine kind of relationship metaphor, and it can be done in a family relationship, it can be done in a marriage relationship metaphor, but for some reason, I, people like the workplace one, where I guess it's safer, you know, because no one wants to think about, I'm going home to what? Ah. <laughs> but work is different, you know, but in stage four, it, it's on, it's on, you know, everything's on red alert. There, there is, there isn't going to be a, a place where the problems aren't present. And stage five is, you know, inevitable bankruptcy. Everyone's losing their job and, you know, hopefully you can find another one. Right. 
No, but it's just to play it out in another way that, that helps people see that it's about relationship because this is about your immune system's relationship with whatever tissue it's having a really, you know, it's pissed off at. So the question that I had for you before, uh, you got into um, uh, stage five. Um, as we talk about all this, I mean, it's a very logical progression that you're outlaying here in terms of, you know, diff different stages of autoimmune disease. Um is this really uh, important for people to know? Like, don't everyday people have a sense of this? And I'm, I'm asking that as like, I'm the guy out in the public, you're the doc. Do people come in sort of wide-eyed and say, hey, this, and you're just like looking at your chart going, oh, you're in stage three. And they don't have, they, they, are people that ignorant to the whole idea of how it is they get sick? I, I guess is what I'm really trying to ask. Well, I, I don't think I'd go in that direction because honestly, Anthony, most people when I say, oh yeah, my focus in medicine is autoimmune disease, if they're over 50, most of them step back two paces and think that I'm a person who focuses on AIDS. Mm -hmm. And they think that, oh my God, I mean, I've, I've literally had people say, oh wow, it's so weird that you turned your practice into an AIDS practice. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, I mean, I do see people with AIDS, but... Uh, what gives you the sense that that's all I do now? And she said, oh, I heard you on the radio and you said you're focusing on autoimmune disease. And I'm like, yeah, there's hundreds of them. And they're like, oh, I thought it was just AIDS. Hmm. So uh, I'm just saying that in colloquial, colloquial English language at this point, unless you're pretty well versed in, you know, this because of a family member or obviously in your situation or your job informs you of this, most people don't really know what autoimmune means. Hmm. But most people, I think, like you said, have a, a natural intuitive sense of I'm sick, I could get sicker, I've seen sicker than sicker people, and I've seen really sick people, and I don't want to be one of them. But I don't think it's really been laid out in a way where people can sort of see it that way. So maybe I'll go through it again with a bit more specifics. So stage one is again allergies and reactive erratic weird stuff that's going on, food sensitivities that may or may not be clinically provable, uh, weird recur recurrent infections like strep throat, you know, weird earaches, weird, you know, eye infections, skin infections, eczema, psoriasis, things that just uh, kind of maybe come and go, but they're just really weirdly erratic. Uh, people who get a really bad acne uh, is considered partially a, a cleanliness thing, partially a hormonal immune thing, and partially uh, basically a, an infection thing. So I would say anyone who's had severe acne in adolescence, as, as well as allergies, as well as weird infections and earaches and, you know, had your tonsils out and stuff, that's all stage one stuff. And if you're in your 20s and things are getting more complicated, notice there's a relationship. Because stage two, in, in a more specific sense, is you probably have required a few different doses of medicine for something, antibiotics, painkillers, sleeping pills, antidepressants, and maybe you've had a couple of loose diagnoses, but nothing concrete enough that people say, oh yeah, well, there's a, you know, here's a progression and here's a, uh, you know, the real deep problem. And, you know, in fact, ma'am, your depression is due to chronic inflammation because you keep eating too much sugar you know, or something like that. So, you know, we're, we're, we're in stage two, we're walking around with this sense of, okay, well, I'm taking a medicine. I, I think I may have be diagnosed with something, diagnosed with something, but fundamentally what you're going to notice in stage two is you're starting to feel like someone else on the inside because you're tired. The world seems like a stubborn kind of erosive place. Your intolerance to stress or your, your ability to rebound from stress is noticeably different. If you have a bad night's sleep, it's longer to recover. Uh, if you ate way too much or not enough, your your mental, emotional, and physical reactions to that are going to be significantly more noticeable and take longer to get rid get rid of. So stage two, you know, again, now you're one of those people who's kind of sick, but 
you know, you're, you're, you're not like, you know, you go to talk to your doctor and they're probably rolling their eyes going, oh, here comes that person with all the randomly weird stuff that never seems to really go away or get better or, uh, you know, whatever. And, and that's, that's a challenging place for patients to be because you're like, what's really wrong? And most doctors are saying, oh, no, you're just burning out a little bit, or maybe you got a, a bit of this and, <clears throat> oh, you know, you, you got, you got the SSRI thing or, you know, whatever, in the sense of what this, you know, what these drugs might do, uh, in the sense of depression and anxiety and stuff, which are, I mean, I think 30% of adults are given some kind of psych med at some point in their lives just to see if it helps. Wow. Right. So that's stage two. And then it's a bit more practical, personal detail. Stage three, you now have a fixed name diagnosis. It's probably an autoimmune disease diagnosis or will be soon. Right. So stage three, you're now in the club. You've got the little, you know, card that says, hey, you know, for the rest of your life, this is the conversation you're going to be having with people. You do require treatment, uh, but the treatment may come and go in the sense of, you know, putting you back into slight remission or back into stage two. And that's also an important part of this whole spectrum thing is, like I said, when you walk down the stairs into the messy basement, you can walk back out. You just have to walk back, walk back out step by step. Uh, again, stage three, whatever the diagnosis is, probably a lifelong, right? Uh, whoever you're talking to clinically, if you're on forums online, checking in whether or not Crohn's disease is the end of your existence, some people will say, oh yeah, well, if I do this and that and the other thing, I can get by okay, but I never seem to be able to, uh, you know be as fit or as, as uh, fertile or as perky in bed or whatever as I used to be. So stage three now, your, your life is, is literally defined by the process. Stage four, honestly, if you were to get picky about it, is complex, chronic, reactive, inflammatory, connective tissue problems. Like everything is made worse by stage one stuff and stage two stuff and stage three stuff that literally creates a more rapid breakdown of actual tissue, membranes, organs, glands, and everything else. And it's all, you know, breaking down and you become somebody else. You become somebody who is now uh, one of those people who's at the dinner party, at the potluck, at the restaurant, literally having to kind of like, you know, not hide your head in shame, but kind of make the, the, I don't know, puppy dog face to all your friends. Yeah, well, you know, my health's gotten really bad and I can't have this. And we just went through Thanksgiving here in Canada. And I mean, half of my patients are like, I made it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have the stuffing and I didn't have this and I didn't drink the wine and I didn't do everything else. Because you're going to be the person at the table who's now one of those people who really has to, um, in some way, recruit the people in your life to... uh, relate to your situation because you can't just pretend to be normal anymore. Mm-hmm. And stage five, and this is where it gets pretty personal, I think for everybody, uh, because you're literally on the inside and people can see it on the outside that you're living in a destructive situation where there's consistent atrophy, right? If it's your brain or if it's your muscles or if it's your bones or if it's your guts, uh, if it's your adrenals, when you know, whatever, things are just consistently breaking down. And you're not only one of those people, you know, in the sense of you're going to be at the dinner party and not have the stuffing or the wine, you're going to be at the person who, um, you know, might have a shawl over your shoulders and might need some help getting up and, uh, might be a bit slow on the uptake with the jokes and things. And honestly, in stage five, again, cause I, I talked to, pe- to people about the fact that this is going to be a complete reversal, like universal renewal of your, your entire sentient existence, like total revolution or it's going to be managing the breakdown until you die. And that's, I mean, I guess after a couple of decades of doing this, I'm, 
I don't even know how to know how to think about how I feel about telling people they're going to die. <laughs> it's just like, and I don't want to mean, I feel terrible just laughing at that moment, but at, at a certain point, you just want to get past that speed bump with people and say, look, I, I don't know how to say this to you, except to say this to you. This is, this is actually a morbid con condition and, um, you know, 80% of people at, in, in your situation have two years or like five years or maybe even 10, but it's tick, tick, tick. And you know, what's the point in telling people that if you can't give them something else like, as well? Because, I mean, I can say, okay, sir or ma'am, tick, 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 this is for reals, the, the big baddie. It's coming to get you, and, and it's really in bed with you in the sense of that, you know, marriage metaphor. But you can still leave. You can still climb up the stairs, and you might be able to make this 20 or 30 years, hmm. right? Right. You might be able to be one of those people who miraculously walks away from this, um, you know, in the statistics of people who miraculously reverse these diseases, but, you know, that, that's a fundamentally sort of massive spiritual path, you know? So, uh, I think I've covered what the five stages are and, and given people a sense of what, you know, where to, how to place yourself in them. Uh, if you are, or how to hopefully place your friends, um, or family members in, in those places so you can relate to uh, where they're at or where you're at more practically because what I'd like to do next and although I'd like to check in with you and see where you're at with all that uh, is what I would actually recommend for each of those stages so basically I'm just giving away my entire medical practice today and I'm gonna retire tomorrow <laughs> and hope someone figures this all out now because I want to become a juggler hey Bill what are you doing well, I'm a doctor now I listen to this podcast this guy's great he's got all this advice so easy um, it's it, I don't want to say everything that you're telling me isn't anything new, but it's uh, um, the, th the, the thing that, that's really settling home for me is that throughout the course of my life with the illnesses that I've had or with dealing with um, uh, food sensitivities or any of that kind of stuff and having to deal with other people who don't really, quote unquote, get that, um, that this is almost like... Um, What's the right word? It's uh, a self-soothing kind of thing to know that if this is where I'm at and to really be honest with myself, it's like, okay, I'm in stage three. This is where I'm at with my illness. And to um, to wear that, to own it. Um, That's absolutely the point. Yeah. Because, I, I, I mean, when I've done that for myself, when I've actually come to the table and sat down and mom, you know, starts dishing out food with the, you know, snow shovel that she's got. Um, and she now looks at me and she says, oh, hang on, I got something else for you over here. You know what a relief that is? You know, to know that I don't have to endure the agony of defeat every mm -hmm. time, you know, the defeat of like, I can't eat that, uh, you know, shame, guilt, cultural, <laughs> um, uh, nose looking downish from the rest of my family to the point where now, as I've gotten older with my family, the last time I sat down with them uh, a couple of months back when we all had a sort of big powwow together, it was interesting for me to sort of look around and hear everybody else saying, oh, I can't eat this. Oh, I can't eat that. I can't do this. Oh, no, don't give me any wine. You know, and I was just like, huh, serves you right. <laughs> 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 but there is also sympathy there as well, right? Uh, I love your family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love them too, but it's still, come on. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the kind of family you want though, is where you can kind of, I don't know, take a piss at each other if you need to. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's totally that, um, um, that sort of humbling appreciation for myself 
um, where um, even if I do have a knife in my back, I'm not actively reaching back there and spinning the thing around going, oh, you're just a... <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, oh, wow, hey, I got a knife in my back that says I shouldn't be eating so much bread. So I'm, I'm just going to throw this out because I'm going to piggyback on what you just said because sure. it's, it's kind of the same thing, but I want to make sure it's really clear for people. Um, so, you know, as a person who's, you know, in air quotes, an alcoholic in the sense that um, once you've got to a certain level of misbehavior with that substance, you're just supposed to wear that hat. But like everyone who's ever had to wear that hat, until you can admit that that's probably your hat, Mm-hmm. You're not going to do anything about it because you're not willing to admit you have that problem. Right. So that's another part of this whole stage one through five is, can you admit that maybe you've got a little bit of a problem and you should probably put on the hat and really start to rock that particular situation, you know, like you're saying with your family. Because until you're, you're like in it and, and uh, you know, up to your knees in it and willing to say, oh, well, whatever's going to happen, it's going to start here. You're still negotiating with the fantasy that something else may be going on. Yeah. And, and if that sounds tough lovey, that's my job. So Yeah, but but that's absolutely <laughs> true. Yeah. Like absolutely knowing for me, um, uh, a real big one. Um, when I found out the coffee was something that set off my gallbladder to make me have gallbladder attacks, what a freaking relief that was. Because I love coffee. <laughs> I really love coffee. It's so good. But knowing that it was the kind of thing that made my gallbladder go sideways. It would be like, you know, I'd walk by coffee shops and I'd just flip in the bird and be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep trying. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, so th- that's a part of the, the point of this. And I think that gives us a really good springboard into the, the next part of the conversation because no matter what stage you're in, if you are, or whatever stage your friend or family member or maybe your patient is, if you're a clinician and you're kind of scratching your head going, yeah, that, that's a good way to look at this, Michael, thanks. Uh, and that's the only point I'm putting that this out there is to mm-hmm. give people a, a place to start. Like, cause you, you can't start going up and down stairs unless you realize you, one, you're on stairs and two, you want to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I can dive into the what to do's if you like. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, after listening, I just have to say this after listening to you talk about this for an hour, I'm just sort of like, um, uh, bursting with, uh, self-actualization here. So I don't want to make this all about me and I don't want to make light of whatever it is you're doing, but my little, uh, quips about evil coffee, <laughs> I love coffee, I love are, coffee <laughs> are, are designed to, um, uh, in my mind, really help whatever it is you're saying sink further in and hopefully uh, for you, dear listener, have that sink further in as well. So, yeah, that's the plan is you got to, you got to start where you're at and, um, that's actually, I think, one of the most beautiful things you can do as a human being is just find the humility, you know, to, to look at yourself in the mirror and actually, you know, as as I think they say in AA, you know, take a really clear self-assessment, even if it's the hardest thing you've ever done. Mm-hmm. And if you've made all the typical mistakes most hardcore alcoholics, you know, have made in their lives, uh, you have a lot to apologize for. I mean, I'm what you would call a functional alcoholic where, I mean, I don't miss work and I, I don't drink anymore. But when I, you know, was having my little cocktail in the evening as I research, whatever, I was starting to realize, you know, I think they call this functional because if I keep doing this, it's going to be about dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. So as long as you can start where you're at and, and, and be wholehearted about the fact, you know, we're all in this pretty big messy place and, and get past the idea that someone's watching you with a clipboard. I mean, that, that, because I've been in front of my people as a professional in different ways, since I was 16 years old, I've been in front of rooms full of people. It's a weird thing about my life. My biggest thing in my recovery as a human being has been, what are other people going to think about me if they find out that I've got Crohn's disease or that I, yeah. you know, used to have a cocktail or two every night before bed or, 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 right. you know, whatever the things are. 
Because, I mean, one of the podcasts I want to do maybe in the next few weeks is uh, the the most common psychological uh, disorder in the world, which is called What's Wrong With Me? Hmm. But we'll come back to that. But I, I want everyone to hear that because if you're thinking about what's wrong with me and I don't want other people to know what's wrong with me, you're not even willing to accept you're on some stairs yet. And if you're still taking a bunch of drugs and hoping that they magically can make your illness better, I'm right there beside you praying that that's going to work, but I have a completely different head full of statistics. So there's a bit of a funny smile on my face about the whole thing. Cause if you're not going to do the work, you're not going to get out of the basement. There might be a whole lot of swearing in that podcast. Mostly which, for me. Which one? The what's wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> I think that should be an explicit podcast <laughs> <laughs> just so the people listening can <laughs> scream at the whole thing. Cause I mean, that's going around like crazy. Everyone I talk to, I mean, within five minutes you're like, you're, you're fine. And they can just see it in their eyes with this sort of shy look or, or the opposite, which is even louder. The people pretend that they're the opposite of something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm awesome, man. Watch out for me. I'm going to crash into the world and I'm dangerous. Look out. Hmm. I think I did that for a while too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the audio mean spectrum, what to do? Um, yeah, what to do? Stage one, you know, again, you're not clinically sick. Your immune system is just being a little bit of a, you know, a freak <laughs> in the sense of it's your first day at work and the, the office is a, a bit of a mess uh, in the sense of how people talk to each other. So this is what I ask people to do when uh, we can both admit or agree on stage one. Uh, and I can't make everyone do everything, but I'm going to tell everyone what I would suggest everyone do. First thing is you, you do is you do a three-day fast. If you want to reset your immune system, give it a break from everything. Just have some broth, some water, and you, believe me, it's not even going to be that annoying. <laughs> Three days is nothing. <laughs> might sound like, oh my God, but it's, yeah, you're, you're designed to do this for months. So don't, don't worry about it. There's a podcast about that a few episodes back, intermi intermittent fasting. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I would encourage anyone in stage one to get really strict about what we call an ancestral AIP or that kind of autoimmune protocol where you're just getting rid of all the antigens for, you know, a good month, 28 days. Um, yeah, sugar, caffeine, alcohol, grains, beans, all that stuff. Just give it a break. Uh, and I would also encourage anyone who's looking at stage one, because it's probably, if you don't doing, if you're not doing something about that now, it's going to be about that soon. Uh, you know, in, in the sense of modern world statistics, uh, get a health app, you know, if it's a Fitbit or a Quora or Quark or, I don't know, all the, all the, sorry, I, <laughs> I don't like jewelry, so I can't use this stuff. Um, but there are all these self-quantification devices that give you a sense of accountability, you know, and, and I would say that's true for all sta like five stages, but if you're starting to notice, I'm having some really weird erratic reactions and sensitivities to things. We'll start watching your body and, and see what's really making things better and worse overall. Cause you know, the, the only one who's 24 seven watching your health is you. So, you know, we have the, the, you know, our phones and our apps and all this other stuff, the ability to really have a record of that and the ability to use that information to communicate, communicate with clinicians in the future, if things go sideways is gold. It's so mm -hmm. much, it's so, it saves everyone so much time and effort now. If you decide to just be a little bit of a nerd, it does make you a hypochondriac. It makes you maybe even a fitness buff, you know, cause you're trying to get healthier. And if you're in stage one and you know, you're going like, yeah, whatever, I'm not sick. Don't, you know, I don't want to take this too seriously. Yeah. Okay, fine. I get that. But I would encourage you to start paying attention to the people in your life who are dealing with health problems and especially immune system problems. Cause if you're in stage one in, in, in my particular arrangement of all this, predictably within 15 years, you're going to be in stage two or three, if you carry the genetics for what's going around in the modern world and you don't improve your lifestyle. 
So it's just, you know, please notice that there's a pretty generous dashboard light in the universe for don't let this go too far. Mm -hmm. So stage two. Uh, now again, we're getting into that uh, place where it's stubborn and tired. So your response to it is going to have to be a little bit more patient. Uh, and that's going to be probably eight weeks. That's usually like the minimum eight weeks. Uh, and instead of fasting three days in a row, you might want to get into fasting just one day a week. You're in this for eight weeks. Um, you're, you're dealing with a, a more chronic situation than, than stage one. Uh, you might want to also consider some intermittent fasting. Like Anthony said, there's a, we did a show about that a little while ago. And it's all the rage on online with just about every kind of health space from uh, muscle gain to fat loss to depression to Alzheimer's. Because, you know, we've overcrowded our body, you know, and, and giving it a, a break with that is great. Uh, for that eight weeks, you'd probably want to be on what I call a, a strict tribal paleo. Uh, diet. So that means that you're, uh, you know, doing the AIP or the no nuts, grains, beans, seeds, dairy, eggs, but you're allowing occasionally um, on the tribal side of it, um, just a bit more leeway. So you might have a bit of quinoa once a week, or you might have some buckwheat uh, pancakes once a week or eggs once a week or twice a week, but you're, you're, uh, moving in the direction of a pretty solid autoimmune protocol, but you don't have to take it so severely, but for two months, if you can just, you know, wrap your mind around, if it gets worse, my, my life will get more restrictive. But at this point, I think I can, I can live okay with, you know, some weird tasting pancakes and uh, a different version of risotto, <laughs> you know, for, for a couple of months. But before you go on further with that, um, is this the protocol you outlined in your book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, the new one. Okay. Yeah. The, the new one's coming out in probably three months. Right. Now, I, I'm just thinking of the existing book, uh, Returning to an Ancestral Diet. Um, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, that, that book is meant for everybody, like people who aren't even sick. So it's just meant to be, if you're looking at ancestral diets, that 600 page monster of a book was just meant to cover everybody, which is why it's a 600 page monster of a book. Okay. Uh, which was probably a mistake on my part, but I'm. I was trying to be friendly and it was my, my first date at being an author. So I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to impress everybody. This so is the first time you fill out your, your online dating profile. I'm good for anything. <laughs> so that, that book is meant to be good for anybody. That would be DTA. I don't know. <laughs> but never mind. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a hermit. <laughs> anyway, so for stage two, besides the, you know, intermittent fasting and being on a, a pretty restrictive, but also a bit bit uh, lax, uh, paleo protocol, autoimmune protocol, I would encourage anyone who's bumping into stage two to recognize that it's pretty likely you're on the spectrum, especially if you look back at your earlier life and realize it was full of stage one stuff. Because hmm. that, that's why this is meant to be predictive for, for, for people. I would also encourage people in stage two to do a yearly cleanse. And you know, maybe I'm promoting my own, you know, 10 weeks to abundant health program we do twice a year, but, uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to say that there's no maybe there, that there's actually a deliberate plug, but it makes sense because <laughs> of what it is you actually talk about in that program and how, well, I mean, I'm, I'm the guy to, I'm the go-to guy for this stuff. So I feel pretty yeah. confident saying, but there's a lot of different cleansing courses out there and packages and stuff. But if you're in stage two and every year, say in the spring, you, you spend, you know, a month or two just really deciding to clean up shop and, you know, dive back in, maybe not as strictly as, as this, this uh, protocol. But if you could do that every year, you'd probably avoid um, the epigenetic 
mess that's going to turn it into stage three, four, or five. And the last thing I would say to say to people in stage two is get a detective, a health detective, or some kind of health mentor, or uh, don't be lazy, don't be passive. Right, got to get out there and just keep making sure you're sure that you know you know why and where and how things are going wrong, and that what you're doing is fixing it and how it's fixing it. Because if you ever do get into more complicated stuff, you're the only person who really knows that math. And if you can repeat that to someone like me or, you know, somebody else in the, I don't know, functional medicine space, they're going to say, oh, wow, you really seem to know, you know how that stuff works. That's going to save us a lot of time. And because you're already experienced at taking care of yourself in this more lifestyle way, you just have to get a little bit, you know, maybe more specific. So the, the more we all kind of cooperate and collaborate in the long term with this stuff, the better. I, th I think you just described the way we met. Because yeah. I was already up to speed with a lot of ideas based on a whole lot of scratching and sniffing and kicking the tires on everything that I could think of in and around health. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's the idea of stage two. Uh, stage three is now four months. And stage three is when you actually are dealing with autoimmune behavior in the body. It's measurable, probably in three or four different ways. So what you're trying to do in stage three is turn off a memory B cell process that takes four months. Uh, um, I would say used to be uh, on average, now it's minimum. Actually, it used to be 100 days. In, in the last 20 years, it's uh, levered over to 120. So whatever we're doing in, in the world, we're becoming less robust hmm. uh, in a couple of decades. And there's a lot of other statistics that, that prop that up, so I'm not just you know whining or making stuff up. So same thing um, at stage two, you'd want to be diving into the intermittent fasting. Although with stage three, uh, unless you're really, really sure and you're working with someone, I wouldn't recommend doing any extended fasting until the inflammation and, and the reactive side of things has settled down. Uh, I would recommend what's called a progressive ancestral AIP, which means you start at the beginning of the whole thing, which uh, we call an anti-inflammatory diet or an ice age diet. Uh, moving into a more scavenger nutrient dense kind of diet, which is kind of a ketogenic diet. And then you would move into uh, that more sort of tribal paleo where you might be able to try some pseudo grains or maybe try some eggs or, you know, try some nuts and seeds and see if your, your body reacts to them. Right. I would also say, you know, again, if you're in stage three, a, a, a yearly cleanse is minimal. I mean, the reason why I teach a cleanse twice a year is that if I don't do that twice a year, I can't have a lot of fun in Ian other time the rest of the year. So, uh, it allows me to relax a little bit in, in between those things. And it's a really fun thing to just tighten up your ship and, and take care of yourself that way. It's, it's the, uh, the oil change every 5,000 miles. Yeah. I mean, if you're not changing your oil, it's going to get stubborn and then you're going to get all that chronic damage and inflammation. Oh my God. In stage three, you're going to be wanting to be on probably supplements every day, you know, and, and tell your symptoms and, and your overall situation is completely back to stage two or two or or back to stage one. Um, and I would encourage you to hire a team. I don't mean that literally like going and, you know, spending $600,000 if anyone hearing this echo, echo $600,000. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's more about saying, okay, I'm going to make sure I, I have, you know, a, a medical doctor that I can go and talk to who understands that I'm dealing with an autoimmune disease. And they may at least be aware that there's other options and then dealing with acupuncture, Chinese medicine, functional medicine, naturopaths, craniosacral, the list goes on, but find treatments that help you reset yourself. Cause if you can't find a baseline and keep going back to it, you have no way to get out of stage three cause you're just running around banging into other groups of symptoms. So, I mean, now, now, I mean, stage three, again, that's where you get the, the card, right? Like you're in the club now for the rest of your life. 
uh, you're going to need to to dance the dance to this particular beat. Hmm. Even even if it sounds like the music's a thousand miles away and you haven't had a symptom in two years, it's the thing that's going to bite you in the butt if you're not, you know, keeping an eye on how things go. Stage four is, you know, now you're really in the mix. Things are breaking down. You're probably on two or three meds. You probably have two or three different diagnoses under the umbrella of autoimmune. Because it's two years, you're going to want to be on what I call a seasonal AIP, uh, which is the autoimmune protocol that's kind of in, in my format where um, every season you're going to focus on a different specific uh, group of restrictions or lack of restrictions so that you can maintain nutrient density, but you can also ma- maintain metabolic resilience. Because if you don't switch up your, your ratio of macronutrients, your body's going to hit a kind of uh, metabolic fatigue and it's going to start fighting against the fact that your diet's always the same. So if you're doing this for a couple of years, you're going to want to kind of go between uh, really restrictive anti-inflammatory diets, like what I call the Ice Age diet, say in, in spring or, you know, or winter, depending on you know, how you want to do things. Uh, a more scavenger keto diet, you know, maybe again winter or spring or early summer, and then moving into that more tribal uh, diet, you know, summer or fall, where uh, you can start adding in some new things. Because typically in in the early past, that's when humans would find, you know, more, uh, say, seeds or uh, little uh, tubers or uh, things that, you know, now we might call pseudograins. So, uh, you know, there's that. And then there's what I call the homesteader diet, which you would want to do fall into winter where you're eating lots of squash and maybe a little bit of trial runs with some white rice or oats just to see, you know, is this, this gonna, gonna be too much for me or, Hey, I can't believe it. I had a pancake. Woo. (laughs) And also, you know, if you live up North, uh, you know, in the sense of North America, Northern Europe, uh, being able to have porridge of some kind in, in the morning to go out and trouble the snow to, you know, try and find your car might be a, a nice thing. So uh, that's also the idea is to see if you're, you know, you're bouncing back because this is going to be for at least two years. If you're in stage four, it's, that's the minimum it takes to turn that whole thing off. I'm smiling to myself because I know we have listeners in Australia and up north of them is hot. Well, uh, well, there's the relative closer to the poles version of <laughs> what happens in relative <laughs> winter. I want to go there and just experience that for some reason. Anyway... Uh, can you, can, when you're there, can you flush the toilet? Tell me which direction it goes. <laughs> well, let's go together. <laughs> Fusion <laughs> Health Radio, down under. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> Great. Uh, so there's a thing we don't have time for in this episode, but maybe we could do an actual entire episode. on it. It's a metaphor that I call your health sailboat. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole bunch of different ways of just describing how we understand how we move through the world and how our metabolism works and what we can do to tweak it. I think I've mentioned a few different parts of it around the keto thing, but there's a lot more to it. But if you're in stage four, you're going to want to become the captain of your ship. You're going to want to have your hand on the tiller and you're going to want to make sure you're steering your life through your particular storms with the most care of yourself and your boat. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty extensive metaphor, but at that point you're going to want some pretty extensive metaphors to get through two years of chomping on kale and stuff (laughs) (laughs) and taking all your supplements and seeing your therapists and all that good stuff. You're going to want to get into the lab work. If you're that deep into it, you're going to want to at least, least minimum twice a year, probably spend 600 bucks to a thousand bucks unless your insurance covers, you know, uh, the new lab tests that they often don't, um, because you're, you're in a situation where you're trying to get back into stage three. I know that sounds like a silly thing to say to people. You just want to be a different sicker, <laughs> a bit less. And then back to stage two, and, and that's really how this goes. So lab work really is your best uh, 
a way to know how close you are to get back from that step of stage four up, up out of the basement into the step of stage three. Because if you can't see the numbers and your clinicians can't see the numbers, you don't want to be in a hurry. You don't want to be arrogant. You don't want to end up crashing yourself into stage five. Um, again, you're going to be one of those people. So you're going to need to find ways to navigate your relationships with relationships. Because mm-hmm. you're going to have to basically be able to say to people, please do not undermine my attempts to resolve a complex, you know, illness with things like kale, <laughs> you know, or bone broth or whatever. I'm picking on kale. It's just easy to laugh at because it's kale. <laughs> but, you know, your life is going to become psychologically, socially, uh, and within your, your environments uh, around humans and maybe even your pets, it's going to be different. And you're going to be the one who has to guide those processes because if you're doing the mopey dance and hoping other people find a way to, you know, write your ship for you, you're going to end up in the classic codependent passive aggressive behaviors that paint a lot of people into some really tricky long-term corners. And, and we all have the ability to do that. You know, you're one stubbed toe away from having a tantrum. So, I mean, that's true for everybody. It just depends on how badly you stub your toe, I think. <laughs> I'm going to use your sailboat analogy that I would say that if you're the captain of your ship, the sails aren't up. I mean, if you're not, if you're not taking charge of where it is, whatever it is you're doing around your health, um, you're not really going to go anywhere with it. And you're just going to be blown around at the whim of everyone else's discretion, yeah. right? And, and if you're feeling shy and ashamed and insecure yeah. because, you know, damn it, you know, the, my, my inner foibles or whatever, my bad genes are running my life. Um, the person within you that has the strength to move through that is the person within you that has to have the strength to sit down with your peeps and say, I'm turning into one of those people that's going to be annoying around food and supplements and, you know, Friday nights and, you know, when I go to bed or how often I have sex or, you know, whatever the the negotiating limiting factors are, you got to feel a certain sense of pride that you're taking that by the throat mm-hmm. right away. You know, I actually keep threatening my patients that I'm going to make up a little like gift card that you can give to people and it's going to have an F-bomb in there. So I'll figure my way around it. But it basically says, hi, my name is blank. And, you know, we may or may not know each other very well, but I just really need to ask you a favor. Could you please be conscious that uh, everything you do to undermine my ability to maintain my medical protocol is profoundly crushing to me personally and it may ruin my, like you may actually ruin my life, like my health. And on the other side, it's going to flip over and says, if you don't have the equivalent of three PhDs and 20 years clinical experience with respect to my problem, bleep off, okay? Because you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But how many people, you know, that, you know, you know, you've probably experienced this yourself, although it sounds like your family's getting a bit more grown up about the whole thing. Um, You know, there's people that will undermine you because, you know, you're saying, I don't want the cabbage roll. Oh, yeah. Right. And, but it's to be able to look people in the eye with that kind of Clint Eastwood stare and say, you know what, I'm the one who's going to move this conversation exactly where it needs to go here. Cause this is about me not dying badly. Mm-hmm. And if, and then once you get into that kind of place of gumption, you know, it's pretty easy to sit down with anybody and say, look, this is, I mean, it's good. We go back to the workplace analogy. Okay. I'm the guy with the weird, you know, medical condition that says I get the special, you know, bathroom, you know, or whatever. Cause until you have the, the strength of, uh, fortitude for your own well-being you don't and that's a great litmus test is can you sit down with whoever in your life and say turns out i'm going to be one of those people now Mm -hmm. that then needs to you know take care of all this stuff and uh in stage four you're going to get super in love with having to balance you know 
how much do you have to sleep, which is going to be usually more, but it's not going to seem like you're getting as much because you can't sleep very deeply when you're in chronic pain and chronically inflamed. You're going to have to get really careful with exercise. You need some, but if you do too much, it's going to set you back, right? Meditation is, is vitamin M. You know, if you don't have a way to go really deep into what we call the relaxation response, never mind the psychology part, just the, the metabolic neurological part. Your nervous system is in a feedback loop with the fact it thinks you're a wounded animal. And if anything bad's going to happen to you, it's going to happen to your tribe or your pack. It's going to happen to you. You're the wounded monkey. If the tiger comes out of the cave, you're lunch. And that's an instinctual thing that progresses central nervous system distress, even if you've had the best life ever. Hmm. And that central nervous system distress is going to inform your immune system to be more aggressive. So until, and I mean, I think it, I think that meditation's important for all stages, really. But in stage four, if you can't rearrange some of those inner instincts uh, around being a wounded animal, that's going to be the thing that takes you out, is your nervous system is too nervous for your immune system to reset itself to stage three or stage two. Stage five, here we go. It's a lifelong thing. That's it. Sorry. That's it? Uh, Well, I'm just trying to be quick. (laughs) I keep going over an hour. Damn it. Uh, you're going to be one of, probably on the seasonal, slightly ketogenic version of the ancestral AIP for the rest of your life. Uh, and hopefully that's going to be a long time. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing else to really say about that in the sense of food, except for the rest of your life. You're going to be one of those people who's now the Jedi of never, uh, getting behind on your meals, never getting behind on your supplements because it's, it's forever. It's not like, oh man, I'm almost done. It's more like, okay, how can I make this really fun forever and a really consistent, really doable on time, you know, but without being stressed out about it. You're going to need support, whatever that means to you, you know, family, friends, you know, workplace, clinicians, mentors, psychics, I don't know, whatever, whatever works for you, <laughs> you know, call, call up 1-800-TAROT-CARDS and, and pancreas disorders uh, to, to find out, you know, because I, I mean, I... I Although I have the training I have and I rely on the things that I rely on, if you can rely on something and it feeds you in some way, do that. Mm -hmm. Because you're in stage freaking five. I mean, this is the thing that's going to take you out in a couple of years or maybe a couple of decades or maybe you'll get hit by a car in your 80s or you'll die making out, you know, in your 90s or something because you you figured this out or some stem stem cell therapy, you know, caught up with with medicine and it saved your, your butt, you know, but. Uh, in stage five, you cannot, you know, you can't go it alone. This, this, this is going to take a team and everyone's involved now because you're, you're literally the person in your family who has a degenerative, potentially fatal disease. Well, somewhere I want to say that I think the idea of actually having a meaningful relationship with someone, even if it's not a significant other is, uh, a huge health benefit in and of itself. It's in the, it's in the top five things for every chronic health condition. Hmm. human connection yeah uh so the last thing about stage five and i could probably i think we actually did a whole show on karma so maybe i don't need to go to go into it but if you're going to go into the that thing that you know you're basically at a renewal of yourself as a as a spiritual or a sentient being in the world or you're going to go into chronic degenerative breakdown and experience that you know as it moves through your personality uh, you really have one choice, which is get right with everything that's ever happened to you and everything you've ever done to everybody. So that as you move forward in your life, you're not moving around with regrets and resentments and shame and blame and guilt and um, 
you know, all, all the things that most of us, you know, do carry around because that, that's why, you know, ideologies like karma exist is, is it's a service. Like, oh yeah, well, if it's ever a time to clean up shop, this is a good place to start. Because, mm-hmm. you know, maybe relieving yourself of all of that karmic debt or pressure or uh, stagnation is going to have such a profound shift in your nervous system and your immune system that you actually bounce back into stage four or stage three. High fives all around. You, you know, you did the miracle thing, happy dance. Or you get through all of that karmic kind of recycling and rearrangement and you finally get to know your real self and your authentic truth, you know, about how to be here. And you're not running around ducking and weaving around the maze of your life. You're completely, you are your sailboat. You are the captain of your ship. Your sails are full. And no matter which way you go, even if it's over the edge, which, you know, is what I'm speaking to right now, at least you pass through this life living your dying as your whole self not as somebody who's still trying to get away with something or still feels burdened by stuff that other people have done. Mm. So either way, it's the most important thing because it's going to bring you back to life, living your life, or it's going to bring back to your, bring you back to your life, living your death. Mm. And in almost every indigenous spiritual warrior tradition, that's the only point. If you can't live, your dying. You're not even alive. My old man has an expression that I never really understood when I was a kid. Um, but I've, come to, uh, I guess, embrace that, maybe not fully uh, with all areas of my life, but certainly it's something that I understand is uh, he used to say, just make sure you live, make sure you live until you're dead, you know. Um, <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's the old smart people that say it's so simple. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. It's like, you know, don't, uh, don't stick around. Don't waste time. Don't hold your breath. Because, you know, that expression of holding your breath, what happens when you hold your breath? Well, ultimately you'll croak. Right? So don't hold your breath. Breathe deeply. Life. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, we're here to live, man. It's messy as it is, but it's up to us to, uh, you know, go from the rat race to the rat dance, if Mm -hmm. if that's the easiest way to put it. Yeah. So last thing on the thing for stage five is uh, whatever you've learned or know or think you know or would like to know about things like Qigong or yoga, those are essential because they help people rearrange what we call embodiment. You're always in your body. You're always in a state of some relationship, mentally, emotionally, physically, metabolically. And, and, you know, we could come up with a thousand words for all those different states, or you could again, be the captain of your ship and start moving those states around through practice Mm -hmm. and with yoga and Qigong and things like that. Uh, you have a really great, uh, group of steering wheels, you know, in the sense of walking, moving, bending, stretching, being really still and, and all of those things. So. Uh, those exist in the world because they're needed in the world. They're spreading rapidly throughout the Western world because if any people on the planet right now need a way to get back into their bodies and a bit out of their heads and a bit out of the internet, it's it's the West. I would think that the popularity <coughs> is, is mostly because um, people see, the like from the core of them, they see where the value of that is, right? Yeah, I'm sure maybe the, the first uh, your first date with yoga is about to spray and pray six-pack abs and a tight butt. But, you know, 90% of the time you walk out of that particular endeavor going, oh, there's so much more to being, you know, vital from the inside out, although I was lured into this from the outside in. Mm -hmm. And all of those things, you know, yoga, qigong, meditation, they all actually come from shamanism. And shamanism's big thing is about state shift, which is actually what you and I are talking about. So if I was in, honestly, well, I would have done this at any stage, but that's just where I'm from. Uh, getting into things like uh, going to ceremonial circles, you know, if it's a sweat lodge or a healing circle, 
uh, getting into the uh, only with profession professional people with a decade of experience minimum, but things like the uh, therapeutic use of psilocybin, magic mushrooms, uh, ayahuasca, MDMA, uh, microdosing against psilocybin or LSD, uh, using things like ibogaine. We actually did a whole show about my ibogaine experience and. Um, you know, that's shamanism. I mean, if, if you're dealing with life and death stuff, you should probably be going and talking to the people who live the life and death stuff. Um, when you talk about, um, doing, when you talk about doing psychedelics, uh, what's the book called? Um, just going to look on my phone here. Uh, I know who the author is, Michael Pollan. Oh yeah. That was a great one. How to, how to, uh, change your mind. Uh, yeah. Um, what's it called? Uh, how to, no, don't start talking about how to change your mind and a whole bunch of small print. Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> so for the listeners, go online, look up Michael Poland's new book. It's yeah. all about the fact that he took a whole bunch of different, uh, psychotropic medications and herbs and other things to just see what they were about. And, and his, go ahead. His whole adventure, I think, outlines the, um, uh, the medical and biological aspects and then the, um, um, wow, man, wasn't that a trip kind of aspect of things and sort of combines them and he reports on both of his findings. Mm -hmm. Um, very enlightening. Yeah. So I, I would leave that, uh, in, in the bonnet of anyone who's, uh, dancing around stage four, uh, or who is presently in stage five is if your body's up to it and you know the right people and it's not a party like, you know, experience or just get a hold of me if you're trying to figure out if what you're getting into is legit, but mm -hmm. Um, if anything is going to help you live your living and live your dying, it's medicines that walk you through what dying means and what dying is in, in the sense of what the human mind experiences. Yeah. Cause then you don't have to be afraid of the whole thing anymore. And I can say that absolutely, you know, one, if there was a lie detector in the room, sit me down and I am no longer afraid of death because I have completely lived through it at least 15 times in a ceremonial process. Uh, and several of them were quite, quite different. And, and quite meaningful in different ways. But without those experiences, death would still just be a big black wall that's supposed to be the end of stuff, and it's terrifying. But when you've walked through that wall in a lot of different ways, if that, and again, if those experiences are literally real or not, it doesn't matter to me. It's about down here on the ground making humans comfortable with being humans that die. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, a bit longer than I expected, you know, drive-by of Michael Smith's autoimmune protocol and kind of what to do with it if you're in it. Uh, I really hope that helps people because right now one in six people, one in five people, depending on the country has an autoimmune disease and one in three people who die in the hospital die of an autoimmune disease. And I don't know if well, you can be a friendly listener, but I, I doubt that you want to die in a hospital, no matter where you're at. I would, I would suggest that, uh, our listeners are the kind of people who are, um, aware that there's, there's a boat. <laughs> You know, going back to your boat analogy, yeah. aware there's a boat, aware that they could actually pilot this thing and actually take care of themselves. Um, I'd also like to suggest that they're the kind of person who actually uh, gives a crap about the other people in their lives enough to listen to this and actually, um, you know, be vocal about it and share that with their friends, even if it is their other nerdy health psychonauts or astronauts or health knots or whatever kind of knots they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, interesting interesting uh, sort of refresher on the take of uh health and what that kind of means in terms of where i actually sit with it in my um, everyday life as opposed to where i actually um, uh, work with it in my physical body 
definitely, um, um, you know, if there was a, do you want to be on the Michael Smith cheerleader squad? Listen to this podcast. <laughs> right. That's what I think this was today. Yeah, I think that was also just that idea is I wanted to make sure I was clear because I'm rewriting all these books and getting all this stuff together. So I, I thought it'd be fun to just talk it through to mm-hmm. help, help me get the get the engine rolling so I can put the words on paper. Uh, talking so you can hear yourself think. That one. Yeah, I'm uh, putting my hand up around that one for sure. I'm, I'm that way too. Um, was there more you wanted to share on this? We're done? I think so. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, very interesting uh, take on things today. And uh, again, a refresher uh, for some of us. And hopefully you, dear listener, you have uh, discovered a new way of uh, thinking about uh, illness, um, perhaps for yourself or perhaps for another. Uh, share this with your friends. That's one way we get the word out. Uh, we're on Facebook. You can find us there. Uh, we alluded to a, face, uh, sorry, a website being completed. It's still being completed. Is that is it live yet, or is it not live because I haven't put those two paragraphs up yet? Yes, to both. <laughs> oh, so people can go and see everything, and I can well, put they links can, to it. But there's if just you want to if you want to call up fusionhealthradio.com, you could see a site that says "We'll be right back." Oh, okay, so it's not up yet. Okay. Yeah. All right, I will go and make that happen. Thank you. There you go. I'll put you put you on the spot. We've got it on on tape here. Only writing five books right now. Jesus. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about whatever it is that Michael does in the world, which is a heck of a lot, uh, how can people find out more uh, through IntegrativeHealthSolutions.ca? Yeah, Integrative I V E. Because some people hear integrated and then they email me and say, I can't find your website. <laughs> so it's Integrative, like live, uh, HealthSolutions.ca, and I think in. It'll be one or two weeks from now, or actually probably by the time this website comes out, it'll be a brand new, holy cow, super fly, whatever that means, brand new <laughs> website. So if you've seen it before, check it out in a couple of weeks. It's going to be all kinds of fresh. Uh, if you've got a new book coming out, a new and improved book? Uh, second uh, edition of Returning to an Ancestral Diet will be done as well as soon as I've done it, but uh, I'm hip deep in it right now, so having fun with that. Uh, it'll be a bit shorter than 600 pages, but, right. uh, there's that. And then there's going to be a book called the autoimmune protocol or the ancestral autoimmune protocol, which is going to be a, a huge thing because, um, this is the next thing that all of us need. I put this together because it wasn't out there. If it was already out there, I would have, you know, jumped on somebody else's horse, but, uh, this isn't about me. It's just about how clinicians have to work in the world. I think this approach is going to fundamentally shift the way clinicians even just talk about this whole thing. So I'm, I'm assuming that book is going to, you know, be big just because it's going to be so coherently clear about what, what this whole thing really is. Good. Um, uh, the uh, 10 Weeks to Abundant Health, is that uh, up yeah. and available online yet? Uh, people are doing it right now, uh, fall 2018. So there's a bunch of people going through it. Uh, my plan is to just put up the recordings of the, the talks so people can just take the course whenever. But I, I have this uh, stage four autoimmune thing called perfectionism where I'm like, no, I'm going to film it again and do it better. And uh, But th- that, that'll be up soon. And there's a meditation course, uh, 10 weeks of applied meditation course coming up in a bit too. So And uh, videos, YouTube? Yep, we have got YouTubes and I heard there's a podcast too. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just trying to shine a light on all the big fancy things you're doing out there in the world, other than just talking into a microphone with me once a week. Yeah, and if you're a person who's like kind of entrepreneurial, like in your way of looking at the world, Anthony is what we call a, uh, what's the tagline uses? Uh, 
Uh, online marketing smarty pants. Online marketing smarty pants. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, throwing a props out to Anthony because uh, if you are trying to get your, your brand out there, this is the guy who's got my brand out there. So. Yeah, I got a, I got a, all kinds of opinions about how people should do things. <laughs> and and sometimes they relate to how they do them online too. And it ain't cheap, but that's not actually true. He's a very reasonable guy. Uh, yeah, mostly. Mostly. <laughs> it's the Canadian dollar. It's awfully reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, you've been listening to Fusion Health Radio. This has been episode 61, the autoimmune spectrum. Uh, I'm Anthony Santa. That's Dr. Michael Smith. And uh, we will see you in the next podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.